the Lord great? Is the Lord great? Yeah, he's great. He's great. He's great. He's great. He's great. I'm excited um, to be here this morning. Happy Mother's Day again to the mommies. Happy Mother's Day. Amen. 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 We're so glad uh, to have mothers. They are definitely and definitively a special part of the journey of our children. Very, 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 very nurturing part of a child's journey. So when um, when a person has a mother and the mom's there and able to nurture, they play a balancing act with the ogreness of the male in the house. Amen. And so we're excited for mothers uh, to be able to be with us this morning and to celebrate with us. Uh, let's stand for the reading of the scriptures. We're finishing up Nehemiah. This is our last week in Nehemiah. So we have finished yet another book. Somebody should give God a hand praise. Amen, 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 amen. And hopefully the book is in us, not just we just whiz through it, you know, like, like kind of like window shopping, you know. Um, we don't want to be window shoppers, amen, when it comes to the scriptures. Um, hopefully, uh, I have postponed, I've had to talk to the elders a whole bunch about it, I postponed our men's series to the fall so that all of our men are present because my college student is going to get really, really mad at me. If we start the manhood series, they don't want to just hear it through podcasts. They want to be in community processing it together with you guys. Amen? And so we're going to do the manhood series starting in September. Is that cool with y'all? But we're going to start First Thessalonians next week. So start reading it. Do it in your devotions this week. Start reading First Thessalonians. We're going to go line by line. That's going to be our booming. We're going to call it our booming summer series. And, um, and, and it's going to be a great time. Us going through what it means to be an authentic Christian. Um, that's what we're going to talk about this summer. Are y'all with me? Yeah. Amen, 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 amen. So let's go. I forgot where we left off. I think verse 10 is kind of crazy. Uh, we'll start there. We'll read some of this. Uh, but we're, we're, we're going all the way through the rest of this. <laughs> it says, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singles who did the work had fled uh, each to his field, so I confronted the officials. Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah, then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the households um, Shelemiah, the, uh, the priest, Zadok the priest, Padiah, uh, the Levite, and as the assistant, Hanan, the uh, son of Zakor, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable. Somebody say reliable. And their duty was to distribute to their brothers. He says, remember me, O my God, concerning this. Verse 15. Now in, the, in, in those days I saw Judah, uh, saw, saw in Judah people treading wine presses, on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Verse 17, then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not our fathers, or your fathers, act in this way and did not 
uh, did not our God bring all this disaster upon us or on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Let's go down to verse 23. He says, in those days I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and the half of their children, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them. Wow. <laughs> this is some good Bible right here. And, pull, <laughs> and pulled out their hair. This is great. <laughs> and he said, and I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to sons or take their daughters for your sons for yourselves. Check this out, y'all. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the nations, there was no king like him. He was beloved by his God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him made even him sin, shall we then listen to you and do all this evil and act treacherously against our God um, by marrying foreign women? Last thing, verse 30. Then I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and the Levites, in the, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for Good. I want to talk about today in our final part of this, this, this to me is a saga of Nehemiah. I want to talk about finally rebuilt through an uncompromised faith. Rebuilt through an uncompromised faith. Father, we honor you and we lift our souls to you. Lord God, because we want to have lives that ride or die for you. We want to have a ride or die spirit as it relates to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so God, I, I just pray today that you would saturate us with the nutrients to help us to remain faithful to you. Because we know you are faithful. The question is where we are. And so, God, I pray today that by your spirit, by your power, that you would root in us, if you will, and graft in us the uh, living word of God, which is able to save our souls. Lord, let the word of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength, our redeemer, in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody agree with that? Say it. You may be seated. You may be seated. Rebuilt through an uncompromised faith. Somebody say uncompromised faith. How many of you want to be there where your, your faith is uncompromised? That, that, that nobody, that, that you, you got to learn how to, how, how to, how to not to bow down in a bow down world. You, you, you got you, you to learn how to not sell out in a bow down world where people who call themselves Christians uh, uh, um, facilitate in their souls unbelievable compromises to facilitate a, a likability from the masses. And so if you're going to walk with Jesus, you got to learn that you're going to have some confrontations and some frustrations. Let, let me say that again because y'all didn't hear me. If you walk with Jesus, you're going to have some confrontations and some frustrations. And can I add to that some irritations? Um, um, that, 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 that's going to happen in your life. And so, <clears throat> and so if you're going to walk uncompromised, uncompromising, meaning that you will be in the midst of compromise, and God will have to give you the grace to stand in the midst of that. One of my favorite type of movies are, are spy movies. I, I like spy movies because I like it when cats go undercover, uh, 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 go undercover, and they go deep, 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 deep undercover. And, and, and one of the things that they work really, really hard on 
is to make sure that their cover isn't compromised. In, in other words, they work hard to make sure that their cover isn't compromised because they know that they're on a mission. And if their cover is compromised, then they won't be able to execute the mission that their leadership sent them to do. Well, that's the same way it is being a Christian. Uh, uh, we, don't want, we don't want our mission, the mission of God, to be compromised in our lives. And so here we come here to Nehemiah chapter 10, <coughs> last part of the book. And I'm excited about this because this is beginning to, t- I mean, it kind of it ends on a dull note. It's not like, it's, it's, it's kind of not like happy ever after story. You know, where it's like, and everybody loved the Lord and God gave them rest from their enemies on all sides. And then they were waiting for Messiah to come. Amen. Right? It didn't end like that. It ended with ruggedness. Now, you got to understand where it's ending. This is a page book end. Uh, for the New Testament in a sense, uh, Old Testament in a sense, because it's ending <coughs> in the era of these people. And 400 and about 30 years later, a baby was going to be born. And so we see the turmoil that was happening among the people that was going to facilitate the time when Jesus would come along and have to fix what we couldn't fix on our own. And so here in this passage, we see three things that we're going to talk about today encouragements in relation to compromise or being uncompromised. The first thing you see, if you're going to have an uncompromised faith, the, the, the first thing you must recognize is that an uncompromised faith is clear in the lives of committed people. An, uh, an uncompromised faith is clear in the eyes of committed people. <laughs> it's, it's, it looks, if we look down here, he says in verse 10, he says, I found... Since I found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who, who did the work had fled each to his field. So I, I, I confronted the officials and said, why has the house of the, a, a God been forsaken? He said, and I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And he said, and I appointed the treasurers, as treasurers, people over the loot, the money. He says, over the storehouses of uh, Shelemiah, of the, of the, the priest Zadok, of Padiah, and then he goes down to Hanan. And then he says, listen to what he says. He said, for they were considered reliable. Somebody says reliable. Oh, I, 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 I wish I had help right here. See, this is real good. This is, this is real Real good. We can spend the whole sermon just on the idea of reliability. Um, as, as, I, as, I, as I peruse the scriptures, I, I was so overwhelmed. I almost extended Nehemiah another week, but God said, it got to end the day, uh, young boy. End, end, end the thing, man. You always want to push stuff along. Just end it. Let me be the Holy Spirit, all right? So I said, I want one more week, God, one more week. He said, I'm the Holy Ghost. I said, all right, cool. So on reliability, it's interesting that right after he, he had, Nehemiah, remember, he went back to Artaxerxes to make sure that he fulfilled his obligation to the king who had allowed him the resources to come back to Judah, uh, a Ju- a Jerusalem rather. And, 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 and he went back, Eliashab and Eliashab Minor, there were two Eliashabs, one the high priest, one over 
part of the chambers and courts of the Lord within the temple. He allowed Tobiah, an enemy of the Lord, to come into the temple. He made money a warehouse. He made him a penthouse in the temple. And so, and, and so while he's chilling in the temple causing divisiveness and spreading divisiveness throughout the kingdom, Nehemiah comes back, see how, how the kingdom is wilding, how they're wilding out. When he gets back, he starts going off, cleanses the joint. Now, after that, we got something beautiful. We have him now establishing reliable people. <clears throat> if you're going to have uncompromised faith, you got to be, and you got to have in your life reliable people. Let me say that again. If you're going to have an uncompromised faith, you're going to have to have reliable people in your life. He put treasurers. Now, you know you got to have reliable people over the money. Amen. Amen. Because that's usually where the, where the lack of reliability starts. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Somebody go through a little trial. They holy at first, but then they get around some cheddar. And they get real, real different. So Nehemiah needed people, listen, listen to this, that had a track record of reliability that they were able, by God's grace, to set a standard for what it meant to be faithful to the living God. My, my, my father in the ministry used to always say, he said, give me a less gifted guy if somebody got character. He said, if the guy got character, I can work with his lack of giftedness, but you can't work with a, a reliable person because they'll let their giftedness be a fog for the lack of their reliability listeners. And so I'm just trying to say that we need reliability in our life. The word here in the Hebrew for reliability is a powerful word. I, I could talk all day about this literally. It means to prove firm. It means to be faithful, <coughs> trustworthy, in a state of or condition of being dependable. It means to be loyal. Uh, uh, it means to set a standard of loyalty. It means that your life is verified. It means that it conforms to the reality of God in real situations. It, it, it also has the idea of certainty, <coughs> that you're not fickle and all over the place. That, that means that you don't, that, 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 that means like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but there's a level of stability. Paul's prayer at the end of Romans was powerful. He says in this doxology, he says, may my God establish you. That word establish means, has the idea of reliability according to the preaching of my gospel. I like that. He's telling Christians that when the gospel is preached to you, it helps you to be more reliable. In other words, you don't work your reliability, I'm going to be more reliable, I'm going to be better. No, the gospel gives us strength to be firm. Matter of fact, when the apostles left somewhere, one of the things that they would worry about was whether or not there was reliability and stability in the lives of the people that they had seen come to Jesus. So what would they say when they got kicked out of the city? They would try to sneak back into what? Strengthen the church. This idea of reliability has to do with the strengthening of the people of God to be rooted and stable to do what God has called them to do. Listen, I don't know where you are in your life, but no matter where you are in your life, you need stability. Because if you're fickle and you're mobile and you're all over the place, God is not going to appoint you for anything to use you for. And so reliability is a powerful, it also means, listen to these other terms it means. It means lasting. It means you can last. It means you can, you, you, you can last. It means, I, I used to, it was funny when I go on the basketball court. I ain't go out there in a while. 
Amen. Um, Cause them boys kill me going full court. They're killing me. But um, but man, you can always tell the dudes. You know what I'm saying? You, they, they, they come to the court. You know the dudes. That's gonna be a certain way if you pick them on your team. Cause they going like this the whole time. You know, when, in between in between times, and you like, I don't uh, don't pick him on your team. He going like this, and then when you get in the game, you have to pick him. You like, all right, come on the team. He going. Well, we we used to call it in DC. We used to call it heisting. Heisting meant he kept the ball all the time and shot the ball all the time. You know what I'm saying? And so just all over the place. He, three, he 15 feet away, and he made a shot in two games. He's shooting all the way back, going like, going like this like it's going to go in or something. I'm like, Doc, your shot ain't reliable. Pass the ball. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 many, and many of us are like that. We, we, we have an arrogance about our reliability. And now it gets about our reliability, and so we need to have lasting. And the guys that run up and down the court, move a whole bunch, then all of a sudden they're like this. Later on, why? Because they done burnt themselves out. Why? Because they're not lasting. There needs to be a longevity. I was talking, my wife used to run the 400. And I used to say, Bay, how did you run the 400? That would have destroyed me forever. And she said, <coughs> she said the key to the 400 is different than the 100 and the 200. You have to pace yourself. She said, if you try to treat the 400 like a sprint, you've already lost. And that's what the Christian life is like. The Christian life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. Where you're paced and strengthened by the gospel, and God strengthens the muscles of your soul and oxidates them with the Spirit of God. Why? So that you can go longer and longer and longer and longer. But the word also means enduring. That means that these guys, in being reliable, have gone through some challenges. You know who I, you know the type of people I like in my life? I like people in my life that have fought some wars with me. Because a war, listen, tells you where folk are. And then let's see how, the, after the war is over, where you and me at. Because, listen, when people endure with you and through some mess, you know they're going to be reliable. And that's what we need to be. We don't need to be fickle when hell breaks loose. And so these people, these guys in the passage, God has given them the grace with some reliability. <coughs> Throughout the scriptures, it talks about this idea of being reliable. It talks about it as a characteristic of Christians in Ephesians 1.1. I don't have time to read that. Colossians 1.2. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 2, Revelation 17, 14. And it's exhibited in all different types of areas of our life. But what's interesting is that this idea of reliability or faithfulness or uncompromised faith <coughs> points us and roots us in God being the ultimate one who is uncompromised. Because in Lamentations 3.22, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies Never come to an end. They are new every morning. And then it ends with this. Great is your faithfulness. L listen, listen, listen. The thing that motivates your ability to be reliable is the fact that God is. Let me say that again. You didn't get it. The thing that motivates your ability to be reliable is first that God is reliable. And his reliability influences and empowers, I wish I had some help, your ability to be reliable. So you can't wish yourself upon a shooting star to be reliable. The power of God has to make you reliable. The power of God has to make you stable. Why? Because his mercies are available for you to be reliable for him. It's very important. Very important. Because his reliability never ceases, but... 
is even seen in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does a lesson on reliability and an uncompromised faith in Matthew 23, 23. <laughs> he says, woe you to you scribes and Pharisees. Listen to how he exalts reliability. He says hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. That means you're an actor. In, in our day, we call it fronting. Back in the day, we'd call it faking the funk. I keep going. Next one is, he said, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Guess what he calls the weightier matters of the law? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. There is that word again. Faithfulness is a sign that your faith is uncompromised. And Jesus said that's a weighty matter. He said not theological argumentation. He says practical implementation of your theological astuteness. Wish I had help. He said, so Jesus calls faithfulness a weighty biblical truth. Think about that. He said faithfulness is a weighty biblical truth. He says the fact, he said the fact that you're committed to the local church is weighty. The fact that a husband is committed to his wife is weighty. The fact that a wife is committed to her husband is weighty. The fact that you raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord is weighty. The fact that you go to work on time is weighty. I wish I had some help. The fact, listen, the fact that you pay your bills on time is weighty. The fact that you pay your child support on time is weighty. Faithfulness is a weighty truth in the scriptures. Weighty. It's heavy. You can talk all, you can bump your gums all you want, family. But at the end of the day, you got to bring something to the scrimmage game. You know what I'm saying? And faithfulness is a booming philosophy of life that's a part of what it means to be a disciple. Jesus said, you can't be my disciple unless you're committing yourself to faithfulness. Wow. I got to move. I, I ain't got time. I ain't got time. I got a couple more things to talk about on this. But, 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 but in 2 Timothy 2, 2, I like this. This is probably my favorite verse on faithfulness. This is my favorite. And this verse became my favorite verse on kind of reliability and faithfulness when I first got my call to the ministry. When I first received my call to the ministry, I, 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 you know, one of the things, you know, when, you, when you're a young buck with Similac on your breath, wet behind the ears and carrying on, you know what I'm saying, you, you, you fresh meat on the block, you want to you wanna, you wanna bring your A game even though you ain't got no game, Right? And so, and so one of the things that I was zoomed in on by my elders was this. It said, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, those who get entrusted with stuff is because they've been faithful with stuff. Let me say that again. The reason why God is not giving us a lot of things that we are looking to want is because we're not reliable with what he's given us. Because, because exaltation doesn't make you faithful. Because you view it as more valuable. The fact that you view exaltation more valuable than where you are shows you that you don't understand uncompromised faith. Because your purpose doesn't start in the future of your life. It starts when you trust Christ. So, so, so and again, in Acts 6, they considered these guys reliable, reliable, reliable. And so an uncompromised faith show itself up first in, 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 people, in people having this philosophy of life where they're committed people, their lives are committed. But number two, <coughs> uncompromised faith 
believes that God will provide. An uncompromised faith believes in the provision of God. Look at verse 15. This is dope. It said, in those days I saw in Judah people treading the wine presses uh, on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grape, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then <coughs> I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath? This is interesting. Because a few chapters ago, we, we, we looked at this whole idea of Sabbath, so I won't do another teaching today on the Sabbath. But, but as we look in here and we recognize that they made a verbal commitment based on the covenant they, they had made after the scriptures were read to them, is that they would keep the Sabbath. What was the Sabbath? The Sabbath was the sign of the Abrahamic, co- I mean, not the Abrahamic covenant, of the old covenant. One of the major signs of the law. Like communion, what communion is to us is what the Sabbath was to the children of Israel, as well as circumcision. And so here, this was a deep issue of commitment, but they had compromised it. And what was at the center of compromising it? Why were they working on Saturday? I mean, Saturday at this time. <coughs> Why were they working? Why were they allowing? And this is, this is what's funny about it. They said, we're not working, right? We, we, part of the people would have said, we're not working. We're letting people that are not of God work for us, and they come in and sell stuff for us. In other words, they lost the spirit of it. And, and this was, this, the spirit of the Sabbath was rest. But primary above the idea of rest was trusting in God. Why? Because if you say, I'm going to take time off, guess what that means? And they didn't have like, you know what I'm saying, what we have today, vacation time where you automatically get paid. This was an agriculturally based culture. So to not work on a particular day meant that something wasn't going to get done and some resources and some loot and some stuff wasn't going to happen. So it took trust. So therefore, they stopped believing that God would provide. And they got more consumed about the provision of God than the God who provides. Let me say that again. They got more consumed with the provision of God than the God who provides. <coughs> when you get consumed about provision, you'll compromise. Y'all not listening. Whenever money drives you and not the Lord, you will make ungodly decisions that you weren't thinking you would make. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Why? The love for it, not the resource itself, because every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. So, so the resource isn't bad. The disposition towards not trusting him and wanting it more than him is bad. And Jesus said, why y'all worrying? Doesn't he provide for the littlest of these? Even the sparrow, does he worry about what he eat? He said, and, and Jesus promised, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all of its righteousness. <coughs> and all these things will be added unto you. What, what will be added to you? Your needs, not your greeds. In that passage, people be using all kinds of stuff. God going to provide a car. If I seek the kingdom, he going to make me fat in the mug with my loot. Bow, I'm going to be all right. That ain't got nothing to do with, with all of that. Know what it has to do with 
basic biological needs. That God promises, if you seek me first, I will make sure you have food. I will make sure you have covering. <coughs> but but when, when you want luxury, see, sometimes God will give you a cube steak instead of filet mignon. And what will happen is because our, our greed increases, we say what God provides isn't enough. So I have to not trust him, make a compromise to upgrade what God wouldn't upgrade. And when you're always trying to upgrade the provision of God, that means you don't trust God. And so, and so God is trying to help us. God is trying to help us to understand and help the people of God in this passage. He says your, your, your faith is consistently being compromised because you're not reliable, number one. And number two, you don't trust me. But when you trust in the goodness of God, if you think back to those times where you didn't know how you were going to make it, you didn't know how you were going to make ends meet. And you sought his kingdom in some way. Some, you, didn't even, you didn't work for it. You didn't, you didn't clock in for it. It wasn't on the salary count. Matter of fact, you didn't beg for it. You just went before God, and guess what? God provided. Somehow, when we get out of that state, we forget, and then we say God doesn't care anymore. We so fickle. But an uncompromised faith say, God, I love you so much that, that I'm going to believe in your ability to take care of us and <clears throat> to provide for us. Some verses on this, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your need. Let me say need, though, not greed, need, according to your riches in glory. Genesis chapter 22.14, it says, and Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide as it is this day on the mount. And so he's explicitly, of course, honoring and lifting up and knowing that God is a provider. Psalm 68.10 says, your flock found dwelling in, you, in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. Psalm 111.5. It said, he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, as for the rich in this age, I like that. He, he, he emphasized in this age. Charge them not to be haughty, not to be big-headed, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with everything to enjoy. And so, so uncompromised faith understands that the, the, the enjoyment of what God provides is really not in just enjoying it, but enjoying the one who provided, which makes more sense out of how you enjoy what he gave. Did you, did you get that? The, if you can't enjoy God, you can't have anything at peace. <laughs> you, you, you can't have anything at peace. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, 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 most of the guys on my block when I grew up, most of them are dead in jail because they had the, I remember we used to have Gore-Tex sweatsuits back in the 80s. Moss Brown, Fila, y'all know nothing about that. Sergio Tacchini sweatsuits, you know what I'm saying, with, 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 with bucket kangos on and, and, and big lace uh, uh, shell top Adidas and uh, avias. Y'all know nothing about no avias around here, right? <coughs> you know what I'm saying? And so money, we go on the basketball court, money, my, my, my friend, went, we, that's when all we had was beepers. We, the cell phones was like this long. Like in New Jack City, you know what I'm saying? The joint that the Italian dude had. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that scene? Y'all know y'all did. Stop acting like you saved all your life. Um, 
we'd be on the basketball court, money would have a knot like this in his pocket. And But what was interesting is he always had to look over his back because he, could, he didn't get his resources in peace, so he couldn't enjoy them in peace. See, when God gives something to you in peace, you have peace, and you get to enjoy it because you don't have to look over your shoulder because he provided it. He provided it. So again, an uncompromised faith, an uncompromised faith, recognize that God will provide. Recognize God will provide. Last point, I got five minutes, got to get it in. Last one, uncompromised faith fights to love God with a whole heart. An uncompromised faith fights, 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 fights to love God with a whole heart. That is our greatest struggle. That is the greatest struggle, whether you white, black, Asian, Hispanic, mixed, or nobody know what you are. That's our greatest. That's our greatest struggle. Look, look, over, look over in verse, I can't read all of it, but look over in verse 23. It says, in those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ash." Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. Now, this is crazy. Now, you got to understand, what did we just talk about? They made an oath in the first part of the chapter. This, this is bananas to me. They made, they, they made an oath that they wouldn't marry into foreign lands. <coughs> now, the Moabites and the Ammonites are their cousins, but God restricted them from marrying them unless they believed in him. Now, these people, now, now this, is, this is what I struggled with and I was looking at my own life in. Just really, really looking at my life and doing an inventory based on the scriptures. The, their marriage to them now made them so uncompromised that it made them, and they had children and everything, that it made it difficult for them to be set up to live an uncompromised life. See, their lives were so compromised, had so compromised the word of God that it married their ability to, it marred their ability to walk in an uncompromised life. I never want to ruin my life and its ability to live uncompromised. One of my biggest things, you, you, one of my biggest things is I want to have a life that's freed up for God to do with, with it, whatever. I don't want any encumbrances or weights in my life that bring destruction to my ability to honor him, to love him, and to pursue him, and to follow him. And so it says, half the children spoke Ashdod. <laughs> they could not speak the language of Judah. Now, why is this important? Three things. While Nehemiah was gone, the people compromised on the wall, on, on, on all the commitments that chapter 10 that they did before. Number two, they could only fully relate to those who didn't know God, not to God's people and his word. So they were only able, that means that when they were reading in chapter 8, because this had already happened prior to chapter 10. So that means they were already married before this. So when the reading was going on in chapter 8, when they rediscovered the scriptures, there was many of them who couldn't culturally and contextually relate to the scriptures because their life was so alien to the mind of God. And so it was so much work that had to be done in their lives for them to actually understand the scriptures. Can you believe that? But then the language, of course, caused some a deeper connection 
to the people of the culture than the people of God. It, you know you're in a bad place in your heart when people talk about spiritual things and you can't relate. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, I'm not speaking to you as spiritual people. I'm speaking to you as fleshly. In other words, I have to use human lingo, not eternal lingo, to help you to understand God's word. Listen, if you are where you are, if you, if you are the same place now that you were 10 years ago, your heart is compromised. But we are, are, are excited about greater things of you. I just want to read this part. I'm not going to exegete it, but this is funny. He said, I confronted them. He said, I cursed them. That's crazy to the mug, man. That means he spoke not curse words, but he cursed them as in speaking biblical curses onto him. Then he said, man, this is now, I, I'm, I, you know, I wonder can this happen today? I'm just asking the question. He said, I beat some of them. That, I, I, that ain't even my, 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 my message today, but I mean, can you imagine somebody, you know what I'm saying? Like getting whooped because, you know what I'm saying, catches get clocked. You ain't following the law? What? Wop! Knock money out, right? I'm just, I just had to say that. I just love that type of stuff. <laughs> um, then he says, now, now you got to understand. Now this is, a, this is a struggle. And I know for some of the women with the weaves and stuff, it says, he says, and some of them, he said, I pulled out their, I pulled out their hair. Now, some of y'all are going to be all right. Some of y'all ain't going to be all right. <laughs> wow. That's how poor. Hey, I mean, that's mad. You, can you imagine somebody just go, rack out? Now, you got to understand, Ezra did the same thing. Ezra pulled out cat's beard, just went up to snatch beard off of him. I mean, that's rugged. That's some thug type stuff, man. I'm sorry. This is crazy. Y'all know the Bible ain't a punk book, man. I'm just saying. I just had to, I just had to read. I just had to read that. Like, this dude was hot. I, just, I mean, I, I'm just, just one more digression. <coughs> I just wonder what the Father, Son, and Spirit were doing while he was doing that. I, I just would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the unapproachable light of the throne room of heaven. And I just want to say, God, how we processing through this? Money beating up cats, tearing our hair. You know, I don't know. Maybe I just think like that. I just always... I always wonder stuff. I just think that's crazy. Anyway, um, but we can't do that, man. We can't do it. I'm going to try, though. Verse 26. It says, verse 26, he said, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? It's powerful. This is where I want to kind of land it today. I want us to land it here because I want you to, I want to read a verse. And I want you to underline it in your Bible. I want you to go to 1 Kings 11, 11 4. And I want you to underline this in your Bible. And I want you to really, really think through your life, the faith. I really want you to, to, because this gives us freedom to go back to this verse and look at what do they mean by Solomon's compromise. It says in verse 4, it says of, of 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, it says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. Now listen to this. In his heart, his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. Um, that, that's, to me, that's one of the most haunting verses in the Bible. 
is, 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 is the fact that our heart can get compromised so much that we're doing a balancing act in our life to please man and please God. That, that, this, I'm going to tell you right now, this is my greatest fear. And you know, kind of, three kings are kind of a pictorial of hearts, right? Saul is a pictorial of not serving God with your heart at all. Solomon is a picture of serving God with half of a heart. But David is a picture, ultimately, of Jesus who serves God with his whole heart. Even when David sinned, he said, I've sinned against the Lord. He didn't say, nobody made me do anything. He didn't say the temperature was right. He didn't say, if I'd have had a break. He didn't say none of that. He didn't say my past. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. See, what makes you follow God, be a person after God's own heart, is not just how you walk with him, but how you repent when you sin. And with all David's mistakes, with all of his mistakes, guess what God said? He's a man after my own heart. Why? Because even when he messed up, what was the first thing he did? He fasted and prayed and he worshiped. Can you worship when you know your sin is felt in your heart at its greatest point of sin? And you know you're dead wrong, but you don't avoid the living God. And you pursue him in glory. But there was one that never had to repent. He never had to confess sin. <laughs> he, never, he never offended anybody in sin. He was faithful and a true high priest in the mercy of God. And he is able to, in, he's able to empathize with our infirmities because he's been tempted in every like as we have yet without sin. But what connects him to this passage, this person that I'm talking about in this passage, just as Nehemiah went back to his king to check in with his king and to stay with his king for a while, then come back and return to check on the state of his people. So Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, left earth after he died on the cross and was raised from the grave and he went up to the right hand of his king. And he's sitting there interceding for us, pushing for us, looking out for us. But he's going to return once again. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says, when judgment starts, it starts in the household of faith. But what's beautiful about the judgment when Jesus comes for his people is he's judging us at the Bema seat. That's not judging us for eternal damnation, but eternal exaltation. But then it says after that, something scary. He said, if judgment starts with the household of faith, what will it be for those who do not obey his gospel? What a scary thing. And I just pray that we would be a people of uncompromised faith. That we would live a life that's uncompromised and committed wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm out of time. Father, we honor you. Thank you for the ability because of Jesus to live an uncompromised life. We thank you that the one that lived the uncompromised life is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's lived the greatest life. Matter of fact, he lived the life we could never live, died the death we could never down the cross for us, was raised up from the grave that we could never be raised up from. And I'm thankful for that. And so, God, I pray today as we celebrate communion that we would celebrate the fact that Christ lived for us and he died for us. He was raised for us. He's sitting at the right hand for us, but he's coming back for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.